Have you ever said this? I believe, but help my unbelief. Well, at the bottom of the mountain of transfiguration, Jesus lends into a father who says those words. And it's an issue of faith and an issue of the power of God. And it's today on Walk in Truth Radio. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Luke 9, look at verse 38, the parallel account. Luke 9, 38. Behold, a man from the multitude shouted, Luke 9, 38, saying, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he, we find out now, is my only boy. Look at my son. The word look at is used in Mary's Magnificat in the Gospel of Luke to look with mercy, Lord. Please focus your attention over here. He felt helpless. He was watching an unseen force destroy his boy. We're gonna find out in a dialogue with Jesus that this has been happening for quite some time and the father feels helpless and he's a man from the multitude. He feels like... um, this is, these are things that challenge our faith, faith. One hand in a thousand. A man from the multitude, a woman from the multitude. Jesus, do you know about my problems? You know, sometimes you ever just sit on the freeway and go, Lord, there are so many people. <laughs> so many. Southern California, you especially say this. Why are all these people trying to cram into this one location? I don't know. <laughs> We're part of it, though, right? And you look at, you know, face after face in automobiles, or you might see a huge crowd somewhere, and you're like, Lord, my one hand, when my hand goes up in the multitude, do you really hear me? Do you care about me? Lord, I believe, but there's a lot of people. How do you keep track of it all? I'm dealing with just three or four and they're driving me crazy. Can I get a witness? (laughs) I believe, but I feel helpless. Isaiah 25, 4 says, God, you are a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy. Isaiah 25, 4, in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. There's a sense of urgency. The devil had robbed his son of everything, including his speech. Look at verse 39 of Luke 9. Behold, the spirit, a spirit seizes him. This is all this boy can do. He suddenly screams. It throws him into a convulsion with foaming at the mouth. And as it mauls him, it scarcely leaves him. Help. This thing, whatever this thing is, is destroying my boy. And I I had a glimmer of hope because these nine that represent you, I heard you're a healer. And so I asked them, and disappointment has rushed into my soul because not even they that represent you could deliver him. Now what? Things that challenge your faith. 
I believe, but not even Jesus' disciples could deal with this spiritual force. Now what do I do? This thing won't even leave him alone. The only sound that my boy, my pride and joy can make is to scream. That's all he's got. He's deaf. He's mute. Satan loves to mar the image of God. He tries to get people convinced that you're not made in the Imago Dei. He tries to get you convinced that there is no God. Nobody cares about you. In fact, he loves to whisper to people, you may as well die. Look at all your problems. What's God doing about your problems? I mean, imagine being in this father's sandals. He's exhausted everything. There are people all over the planet that are hopeless. They feel helpless. They don't know what to do. They start to doubt their faith. Kim Meter was uh, being uh, interviewed by Frank Sontag. She runs a ranch called uh, Crystal Peak um, Youth Ranch. And they take horses that have been abused and they take abused children and bring them up to this horse ranch. And as the children uh, minister to the horses that have been, become skittish and been mistreated, it ministers to the children as well. And Kim Meter began to share her story and she said that when she was a little girl, she, they threw everybody in the car, her and her two siblings, and they drove off to grandma's house and nobody was talking and she had a terrible sinking feeling. And I think she was maybe nine or 10 years old. And she said that when she got to the house, everybody was crying and everybody was distraught. And a woman that she barely knew pulled her to the side and said, I'm so sorry to tell you this as the woman was sobbing, but your father just murdered your mother. And she said she didn't know what to do. I think, as I recall the story, a friend of the family had brought her to church a couple times, but she was devastated. And she was like, no, no, that can't have happened. No, my father loves my mother in reality. And she went running off into a field and put her face in the dirt. And she said the only thing that she knew to do was cry out the name of Jesus. She said, I didn't even really know who Jesus was. She said, I, I kind of had an idea that he was the man that died on the cross, but that's about all I knew. But something deep inside me said, cry out to Jesus. And she did. Now she's doing phenomenal ministry, helping people get through their own wounds and brokenness. And you know, when we talk about things that challenge our faith, there's gonna be seasons when things are inexplicable. There's no great uh, reason that someone can give you. And we get in trouble sometimes when we try to solve people's problems in the moment by quoting a Bible verse. And I'm not saying that there's not power in the word, but I'd be very careful when you quote Bible verses to people. Sometimes we just need to listen to people. Sometimes we just need to say to people, I'm here and I'm just gonna pray for you. And sometimes people who are going through difficulty don't even wanna hear that you're praying for them. Sometimes they just wanna hear that your arm is there. We have to be wise. This boy is living in a silent, shattered existence. The NIV says of him that literally this spirit is crushing him together. The devil's plan is to rob you of everything. He sells things in pretty packages. Go back to Mark chapter nine. 
He puts glitz and glamour on them. The first high is very exciting. And then that thing becomes a prison cell. It's very tricky in the way he works. So you must be on the alert because the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to what? Devour. You've got to be aware, folks, of what's going on in this world. And so the father continues from Mark's account, Mark 9.18. He says, whenever it seizes him, Mark 9.18, it dashes him to the ground. He foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth. He's in a living hell, I think is the way to put it. He stiffens out. He becomes rigid, New King James. And I told or I asked your disciples to cast it out. And they could not, Matthew's account said, they could not cure him. They couldn't do it. How many times did they try? I don't know. But it just ended up that they decided to say, this is, I don't know, we can't, we don't have any answers here. We can't do it. The formulas that we've been using in the past are not working. And I don't know if the disciples walked away, but can you imagine being that dad? Can you give me a referral? What do I do now? How, how does this stop? Can you imagine living his life? You know, we think we have problems. And so here is Jesus. The solution is right in front of the Father as he will find, but first Jesus expresses what he sees. Jesus answered them. The whole crowd is being addressed, 19, and says, Oh, unbelieving generation. If you have a New King James, Jesus says, Oh, faithless generation. One writer pointed out that the word oh is rarely used in addressing others directly. And Jesus is showing emotion, but emotion in the sense of disappointment. Now, you wouldn't think at this point that Jesus would be shocked by anything. And the longer I live, the less I'm shocked by most things. And just when I think everything that could shock me has shocked me, then I get shocked again. <laughs> Amen? But Jesus is like exasperated. I think this, is inclu this includes his nine disciples. I think it includes the scribes who were just waiting to jump on their failure. I think it's the unbelieving crowd. I think it's the dad. I think it's everybody. And he says, oh, faithless generation. I asked myself this week, let me ask you, if Jesus addressed our generation today, what would he say? You know, in Luke 18, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And look, as I preach to you, I'm asking myself, what does it take for me to say, I believe, but? How much do I have to see to truly believe, to walk in faith? I think we're always asking that question. The word generation indicates Jesus' exasperation with everybody there. Frederick, Frederick Godet, he's a French commentator, suggested that Jesus' exasperated response may have been partially due to his wonderful night of prayer and communion on the Mount of Transfiguration. He says he feels himself a stranger in the midst of unbelief. The holy enjoyment of the night has made, as it were, him homesick, close quote. 
You know, you, you're up on this mount, you're glorified before your uh, disciples, the three inner circle, you come down the mountain and all there is is unbelief. You go into your workplace, you come away from a Sunday message, you feel re-energized until you get to work. <laughs> you're like, what in the world is happening here? But it's not just at work and it's not just at secular colleges. Sometimes it's our own believing families. Sometimes we run into a situation and people that we believe have been walking with the Lord for a long time are ready to drop their faith like nothing. Ready to abandon their commitment to Christ. A little bit of challenge. That's it. Christian things not working for me. Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses, the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message on sola scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology, intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. There'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. You see, the problem with the disciples is one key thing that was missing, and we find it out in the account, and I think many of you are familiar with it. Get this. They didn't pray. Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer, and guess what? They didn't pray. Can you imagine going into a, into a situation where you're dealing with an unseen force that has more power and it's scarier than anything you've ever dealt with and you go in there and you don't, wait a minute, you don't pray? But how many things have you and I done where we've become so used to formulas and things that work for us that we don't pray about it anymore? You know, prayer is our central communion with heaven. When we pray, that's when heaven is enlisted. When we pray, that's when evil is resisted. But if we don't pray, no power. And I'll tell you, it's a mystery and it's a discipline because to get on your knees and pray to God who is spirit is not an easy thing. It takes faith to pray. Faith is an act of obedience. Uh, prayer is an act of obedience. Prayer is an admission of my dependency. Anne Graham Lotz daughter of Ruth and Billy Graham tells about her mother. She says, what my mother taught me and that which I seek to pass on to her grandchildren is that God is enough, period. Growing up, I had a bedroom directly over hers. No matter what time I went to bed at night, I could see the light from her room reflected in the trees outside. Were I to slip downstairs, I would find her on her knees beside her bed. There was no use waiting for her to rise. She would be there in prayer for hours at a time. No matter what time I arose in the morning, I would see the light from her room. When I arrived downstairs, she'd be at her desk reading one of 14 different Bible translations that she had. She says she knew God well. Is God enough? You know, we get into all of our formulas and our bullet point lists about what we should do. Look, we've got to start with the one who can actually do something about our situation. Is your marriage in trouble? Your faith in trouble? Have you, you know, hit a, hit a crossroads in your life? 
Just go back to the one who can deal with all those things. Jesus called this a faithless generation. And then he said, how long shall I be with you? Look at verse 19. I love Jesus. This, this gives me reason to talk sometimes the way I talk. How long shall I put up with you? <laughs> and then Jesus says, bring him to me. I want a video room in heaven because I want to see the way Jesus said things. I have an idea of how he said things, but it's like, you know, to paraphrase, Jesus had really moments like, really? <laughs> Didn't that give you hope? Bring the kid to me. Get out of the way, you sissies. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Praise God. I mean, it's awesome. It's a crooked generation. And they brought the boy to him, verse 20, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling about, rolling around and foaming at the mouth. The spirit inside the boy went, uh-oh. <laughs> There's the one that's powerful. See, the demons knew who he was. This is a last-ditch effort. I'm going to get him on the ground again. Get the foaming machine going. Sorry, I don't mean to be glib. This boy's living like an animal. I read a commentary this week that shared the real-life story of Thomas Sullivan, recorded in the Chicago Tribune. The studious boy, within a matter of weeks, became involved in the occult and Satan worship. He stabbed his own mother, set fire to the house, hoping to kill his father and brother, then cut his own throat and wrists with his Boy Scout knife and died outside in the bloody snow. Within a matter of weeks of opening the door to satanic darkness. You don't believe it's real? I don't know what page of the Chicago Tribune that story was on, but that's the kind of stuff we don't want to talk about. A Boy Scout shattered. And so Jesus, in verse 21, asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. I don't, I don't know that if this is Jesus asking for clarification. I think this is a divine appointment like so many we've read about in the Gospels. I think Jesus knows the Father's pain and has come down from the mountain to deliver his boy when no one else could. And that's what he did for you and me. He came down because no one else could help us. Do you believe it? That's why he left his glory. He did it for you. God so loved the world. Paul said he loved me and he gave himself up for me. Hey, leaving the glory of heaven was a pretty big step down. Being born in Bethlehem in a cave was a pretty big step down. He did it for me and you. He says it's often thrown him 22 both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. I'm sure that this had to be a very tough, caretaking situation. Can you imagine the people they needed around this boy just to deal with a day? 
They never knew when the spirit would convulse him and try to throw him into a fire or into a body of water. And, you know, scholars have pointed out that Satan's goal is always to disfigure and dehumanize people. And the father says, if you can do anything, take pity. Take pity on us and help us. I think this father is like, done. And Jesus said to him, 23, if you can, would you like to restate the question? (laughs) Do you know who you're talking to, sir? If you can? Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believes. Trust me, is what Jesus is saying to the man. I just want to tell you that God does not respond from challenge. All right, just show me a miracle and I'll believe. Have you ever heard heard an atheist and a theist debating and the atheist says, if there's a God, may he strike me with lightning right now. And the Christian scholar goes. (laughs) It's only the grace of God that God doesn't answer that prayer. Although sometimes I wish he would. (laughs) Sorry. The pastor does say that. (laughs) Just do a few of them. Anyway, sorry. God is so gracious. How many times did we raise our fist up at heaven? Like a little pipsqueak. If you're really real. (laughs) Somebody said, your arms are too short to box with God, brother. Come on. Be like an ant challenging you. You know, come on. What would you do? (laughs) God doesn't. At least most of the time. (laughs) God doesn't respond to challenge. He responds to contrition. Thus says the high and exalted one, Isaiah 57, 15, who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Contrition, literally in Hebrew, means to be crushed. You know what God responds to when a person is broken? He is near to the, what? Broken hearted. Jesus is like, if you can, Uh uh-uh. All things are possible. And some of our friends in the Word Faith Camp say, you see, how many things are possible with God? All things. So pray for a shiny black new Cadillac in the name of Jesus. Because the Bible just said that all things are what? Possible. So if all things are possible... Right? Then I'm going to pray for whatever I want. <laughs> right? So if I, if I tag the name of Jesus on a prayer, then I should get that thing I want. Right? Wrong. Would you look ahead to Mark 14? All prayer is still under the sovereignty of God. Mark 14, look at verse 35. I know this bothers some people because we read some of these things and we say, well, then shouldn't anything I pray for happen? Well, let's read Mark 14, 35. 
Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane went a little beyond them. The night before he dies, he's praying, and he fell to the ground, Mark 14, 35, and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. Notice his prayer, Mark 14, 36. He was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, what does he say? Not what I will, but what you will. Look, all things are possible with God, but he's not gonna do all things because it's his will, not my will. Now, some people say, oh, if you tag your prayer with your will be done, that's a cop-out. You're not really walking in faith. No, you are walking in faith. What you're actually saying is, I'm praying about this thing, Lord, but if this is not your will, please don't let it happen because I don't want to do anything outside of God's will. That's what a Christian believes. I don't want to do one thing that's outside his will. But what if I'm in a tough spot? What if God has me on a stretcher right now? What do I do then? Well, Jesus was on the stretcher in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, Father, all things are possible for you, and I do want this cup to be removed, but if the cup of suffering and the wrath of God was removed, you and I would be in hell. Maybe you've been hearing these messages about becoming a new creation in Christ, but you're not sure that you know him. Well, the Bible encourages us that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And so don't put it off because the Bible tells us we don't even know what a day will bring. So trust in him now. The Bible says that we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. You know, we see this reality in the scriptures of repentance and faith. Turning away from our sin, which is repentance, it literally means to do a 180 and turn away from sin and turn to God to do it his way instead of our way. And faith is a word in Greek which means to put our trust in, to entrust ourselves to Christ. Now when we do that, we're trusting in his person, his finished work on the cross, and his resurrection, and, and trusting in him and him alone for our salvation. And that's how you become a Christian. You turn from sin and you turn to God through Jesus Christ. Hey folks, it's Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about our store at walkintruth.com. If you click on the store, we have a number of products up there. They're teaching products, DVDs, CDs, books that are available, all to help your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you purchase a product at our store at walkintruth.com, you help us pay for radio airtime and you partner with us and it's a blessing in both directions. So check it out today. Go to the store, walkintruth.com. Click on it. Click on the store. You'll see a number of different products. That's walkintruth.com. Click on the store today and it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you and we'll catch you next time on the broadcast. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.